This is a hard saying. It's a hard saying. We come to the, the end of the Bread of Life discourses, and so we pick up from, from the end of last week's gospel where Jesus has basically revealed that the bread of life, the bread that is to give eternal life that has come down from heaven, that is greater than the bread that was given in the desert during the exodus, is his very flesh and blood. And that unless one eats of his flesh and drinks his blood, they will not have life within them. They will not share in eternal life. And so we pick up and the murmuring begins, the people who are listening, even, even the apostles. There's a certain amount of confusion. And they say this is a hard saying. And many of them turned back. Many of the disciples, those who had followed him, had seen his miracles, had already listened and heard some of his teaching. They left Jesus. They walked away from him. This is a hard saying that can also be applied to that, that word that we received from St. Paul in that letter to the Ephesians. One of the more controversial readings in Scripture. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands. You know, it's, the church actually gives us the option of doing a, an abbreviated version of that reading where that part is, is chopped off. So that the priest doesn't get martyred before he gets to celebrate the Eucharist. But, but it's God's inspired word. I mean, just because it's a hard saying doesn't mean that I'm to walk away just as those did in the gospel. But hopefully that I, that I take on the posture that, that the 12 did. Like, Lord, we don't necessarily get it. You're talking about the whole, we got to eat your flesh and drink your blood thing. We, we don't understand that fully right now. But we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And so where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. We trust, we have faith that you will, you will unveil the mystery to us even more that we'll be able to receive it. And so we're going to stay with you. We're not going to turn. Same thing with all the difficult teachings of Christ, with all the difficult teachings that he gives through his church. And the same thing with this word from, from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I don't want to go too much into it because I want to talk some more about the Eucharist and some other things that have been going on. But just to to, to clear up the water that it does not mean, wives, you are the slaves of your husbands. That you are of less, lesser dignity than your husbands and that you are to do whatever he tells you without using your reason, without contributing any, any part of your opinion, any part of yourself, that you are to be his servant. You should have an apron on at all times and, and if possibly be, be barefoot in the kitchen. Right? That's not what it means. Even though it has often been, been interpreted like that. The original text and a, and a more proper translation is, is wives be submissive. And again, not in the sense of like passive and just waiting to do whatever he tells me. But, but the, the original context, the Latin word submissio, to be under the same mission. Right? As the two have become one flesh, that there is a shared mission. Right? We still remain, there's a difference in, in a man and a woman. And the Lord has ordered us and blessed us and gifted us in different ways. But the complementarity of when they come together, there's an equal dignity, but different roles that are to, to bring out the best in each other. That a man in and of himself is not sufficient. A woman in and of herself is not sufficient. It's not good for them to be alone. 
But when they come together under the same mission and contribute their unique portion, right, then you have something that is much more than just simply one plus one. I don't, I don't like getting into the whole synergy thing where two plus two equals five, but something along those lines, right? There's, there's more potency there. There's more potency, and, and, and we bring out the best in each other. Oftentimes, again, you know, and, and we, we stop there when we hear that. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Wives, be subordinate. St. Paul goes on to elaborate what he means. And we also go to the line before that, what he says, be, be submissive to each other as to Christ. That Christ is always the center of this. He's the focal point that we're always to return to. To measure how, how I am living out my vocation. Is it an imitation of Christ given my state of life? And so when he says, wise, be subordinate, be submissive to your husbands. As the church is to Christ, he then goes on to say, husbands, love your wives. This is your mission. Love your wives as Christ has loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Like that. He gave his entire life, everything. He held nothing for himself. He poured himself out completely. When the church was undeserving, when we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to do good so that he could reward us. He said, this is my love. And in that, in that which is beautiful, that which is good, that which is to be commended, and that which is ugly and needs healing and needs saving, I am to provide for it. I'm going to give myself completely to you. That's the mission of husbands, to love their wives like that. A wood wife wouldn't want to be submissive, wouldn't want to be under that mission and cooperating with that. Yeah, I'm going to assist you to lay your life down for me. That's what St. Paul's talking about. And not so much in the sense of, you know, we think of, we can romanticize this. You know, lay down your lives. Give yourself to your wives. Be kind. Be romantic. Take her out on dates. Right? Let her know you care. Those are good and important things. But especially when it gets hard. Don't run from the cross. Don't run from the cross. Embrace it. And offer the suffering for her. And here's the unique role of, of, of the wife in that. In the difficult times, in the non-romantic, the less flashy times, right? We look to the image of Jesus and Our Lady, even though we're talking mother and son. They're the image of bridegroom and bride. That Jesus' bridegroom is laying down his life. And what does is, what is Our Lady do? As the image of the bride, she stands at the foot of the cross. The one who is full of grace, right? More possessed by the Holy Spirit than any creature that has ever walked the earth, than any creature that has, will, will walk the earth, and probably more than all of us combined. So the capacity to, to, to live in the spirit and work miracles, to call her son down from the cross, to strike all the Romans dead who put him there. She didn't do any of that. She stood under the mission of Christ, and she let him lay his life down. She supported him. She supported him. She didn't run and let him do it on his own. She stood with him. And the church was born. Salvation was won. I think my own, in reflecting on this, just, just before Mass, it occurred to me, my own, my own father's death almost a year ago. And again, my, my parents didn't have 
the, the perfect marriage. You know, like any marriage, they're the, the ups and downs, the struggles. And my dad wasn't a saint, he wasn't perfect. He tried to be romantic at times, you know, and, and, but the way he finished, the way he finished, he was, he was diagnosed with a rare brain disease. And so by the time he was diagnosed to the time he died was a month. And, uh, and when he went home after the diagnosis, his, his decline was, was pretty rapid, obviously. But the brain disease basically just caused his brain to shut down. And so different parts of the body, different functions stopped working the way they were supposed to. And so he went from being able to kind of to get around on a walker to getting around with somebody holding him while he was using the walker to a wheelchair to bedridden to breathe in his last breath all within the matter of, of a couple of weeks. And it, during that time, at one point I had asked him, I said, Dad, are you afraid? And he just kind of looked at me, and he was still able to talk, and he said, yeah. He says, yeah, I'm a little afraid. He says, but I got to play the hand that I've been dealt. Like, this is, this is, this is my cross. This is my path. And, and later on, I said, you know, I was, I was just, just praying with him and, and sitting next to him. And I said, I said, you're offering this up, Dad. And he looked at me like, of course I'm offering it up. You know, and, and, and offering it up for you, my son. I'm offering it up for your mom and for the rest of your siblings. And whoever else. Not something easy. And at the same time, to watch my mother, especially after he was unable to get out of the bed. We had to put him in diapers. But she did not once complain. She did not leave his side. And she did more work than we, we had a sitter coming in and myself and my brother were there to help, to help clean him up when he went to the bathroom on himself. But my mother stayed beside him most of the time and did most of the work. I would hold my dad's legs up and my mom would clean him. Right. So she didn't run. She didn't pretend that it was pretty. But she let him suffer. She let him stay on the cross. And she stayed there with him. She didn't try to control the situation. She didn't try to sugarcoat it. She didn't try to save him. She stood under, under the same mission with him. And in so doing, helping, helping him hopefully to enter into the salvation that Christ won. And also disposing herself to receive more fully the love that my father had for her. But also a love then infused with divine love. The love of Christ poured out for the church. That's, that's kind of the image of this subordination, if you will, this submission. And, and it's, it's not just for the vocation of marriage, but we can look at it then also, again, the spousal relationship, the spousal nature of the church, that Jesus Christ as bridegroom, the entire bride, all of us, and every baptized Christian, as the bride, as members of that bride. And that uh, 
Jesus Christ has poured himself out for us, that we are to remain with him, though, like Our Lady at the foot of the cross. Despite the hard sayings, despite the hard teachings, despite the scandal. I know Father Andrew preached about this last week. And, and how I wish that was all we had to say about that. Because there's a certain sense, too, I guess, that, that as priests, as bishops, those who are configured to Jesus Christ, the head, by virtue of, of ordination, that we are, we are both members of the bride, but also we represent the bridegroom. And, and that too many times we have failed in our mission to lay down our life. To lay down our life, to pour ourselves out for the good of, of the bride, of the church. And late last night, um, something else came out. It's, I think it's probably finally hit some of the mainstream news this morning that, that even Pope Francis himself may have known about some of the allegations against the former cardinal who was accused of, of abuse. And so that the, the mess gets even worse, the sense that it, it now appears to at least potentially reach the highest level within the church. And so the church continues to bleed, continues to bleed. And so we are faced with the question that Jesus puts to his disciples. Are you two going to leave? And while on one hand it would be understandable to leave, where else can we go? For the Holy One of God, not simply one who has the words of eternal life, but who is himself the very bread of life in the Eucharist. Where else can we go? We turn to the Lord Jesus and beg for mercy. Yes, action needs to be taken. Action needs to be taken and things need to change. And I ask especially that, that as members of the Bride of Christ, please, not only pray for priests and bishops, but call us to holiness. Call us to holiness. Call us to fulfill the mission that Jesus Christ has entrusted to us. Call us to lay down our lives for you, the bride. And not simply in, in the romantic sense, when it's nice, when everything's easy. when the church is, is in all her glory, so to speak, but especially now, when she seems to be getting another taste of the passion. Call us to stay on the cross. Call us to embrace the cross. Through your prayers, through your encouragement, through your fraternal correction, when you see us falling short of the mission, call us. Call us to take up the cross. Please.
don't, I don't want to end on a sour note. You know, there's always hope. And Jesus, just as in the gospel, he knew beforehand, John said. He knew. He knew those who would not believe. He knew the one who would betray. That applies to the entire history of the church. He knew those who would not believe. He knew those who would betray him. And so he says to us, are you two going to leave? We pray for the grace to say, no, Lord. We're going to press in. We're going to cling to you even more. We're going to cling to you, to your Eucharistic presence, both here at the altar celebrated at Mass and also your Eucharistic presence in the tabernacles. We are going to cling to you. We are going to weep before you. We are going to cry out for mercy. We are going to make acts of faith and trust. We are going to make reparation for all the wounds, all the stains that have, have smeared your bride. And together, as shepherds and sheep, as bridegroom and bride, through the messiness of it, through the messiness, we may all be purified. That the Lord Jesus, the true bridegroom, may present us all as spotless, the spotless bride to his heavenly Father. And so we go to the altar, grateful, grateful for the gift of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, having way more confidence and hope in him than in our own strength and entrusting our weakness, trusting, entrusting our, our brokenness, entrusting the evil both in the world and within the church herself, within the clergy, to his Eucharistic heart. The heart that is, has been pierced and remains pierced and open in order that we may enter in to drink deeply, to be healed, to be reunited, to be strengthened, and ultimately to be saved.